Thank you so much for joining us online today at Christ Covenant Church. We hope you sense God's presence and are encouraged by the message. Now, here's Pastor Ryan Weems. All right, part three of our series, New Year, New You. If you got a copy of scriptures with you, the Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 4, meet me there. Last couple weeks, we've been in the Old Testament and Isaiah 58. But today we're going to be in the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 4. And we're going to start there, but we're going to move out uh, throughout uh, the New Testament. And so 1 Timothy 4 is our main text that we're going to jump into, dive into. If you've got a Bible, uh, I think there's a few more we've added to the back. So if you didn't bring a Bible, you can grab one and steal one. I think they were all gone first service, so you can make sure to grab one of those if you didn't bring one. But 1 Timothy 4, verse 7 is where we're going to be. And if you don't want to move to get one, if you don't have the Bible app, the words will be on the screen. 1 Timothy 4, verse 7, and I'm going to read out the NIV. And here's what it says to us. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. And that's our focus today and really this series. Train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Somebody say all. all. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So hit pause for a moment. Keep your Bible open, Bible app open if you got it open with me. Paul, the apostle, he is writing this letter to Timothy. It's his first of two letters that we have in scripture. And Timothy was a young man, probably in his 30s or so. And Paul is mentoring him. So he's a pastor, he's leading a local congregation, and Paul is giving him tips and helpful advice on how to pastor and honestly just how to live for God. And he tells him this, this is what we just read, we'll pick back up in a moment in verse 9, but Paul says this to Timothy and hundreds of years later he's saying this to us, being led by the Holy Spirit, he says, hey, keep working out if you want to. Like, like go to the gym, spend that $50 on that gym membership, uh, get the six pack if you would like. Uh, don't skip leg day. That's all cool. Paul's telling that. I got an amen. <laughs> uh, I, I've skipped a lot of leg days in my life. But anyways, and so Paul's like, all that stuff's great, Timothy. Do the physical stuff that does have some benefit. But Paul says to Timothy, more than that and more than anything, you actually need to have spiritual training because that's going to help you now, but also later. It's the best of both Worlds. What if I told you all series long, if you want this to be your best year of your entire life, it must be your best year spiritually. Not that everything goes perfect, but you pursue the perfect one. And so work out, do that. If that's your New Year's resolution, eat better, um, you know, lose weight, that's, that's cool. But more important than even that, you need training for your soul. Verse 9, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God. And so Paul's like, you gotta work hard at this ministry thing. You gotta strive and labor to run after the Lord because we put our hope in him who is the savior of all people and especially of those who believe. Why don't you keep it open still, but bow your heads with me and close your eyes if you can. And let's pray. God, thank you for this powerful message, this powerful word from Scripture. Thank you, God, for this godly advice that, that you spoke through the Apostle Paul, first for Timothy, a young pastor, but now hundreds of years later for us. And God, we don't just preach the Bible and read the Bible. We live in the Bible. 
And so we pray, God, that as we read the Bible, the Bible would read us and you would show us exactly what you want to show us, that you would speak exactly what you want to speak to us. And I pray for from all the way from the first time person that's never been to church before, all the way to the seasoned saints in the room or those participating online, may you speak to every one of us. God, you know my prayer. It's written at the top of every message. Speak to me and through me for your people today. And God, I know that if we'll hear from you and apply it to our lives, we can't help but be better. We can't help but be changed for eternity. God, I thank you for what you've done these last three weeks in our prayer and fasting. And I pray it wouldn't stop. Yeah, we may start eating again and we may start stepping back into some of those things we're fasting again. But I pray more than anything, we keep pursuing you like never before. This season in this series is setting the pace for the entire year of 2023 at this church. And I got to thank you for what you've done and what I believe in faith you're going to continue to do. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And if you agree with me, would you say amen? amen. Come on, would you say amen? amen? Amen. Remember, when you say amen at the end of a prayer, it's not just some religious thing. Literally, amen means so be it. So you're putting like a punctuation mark and then in your prayer, you're like, let it be done in Jesus' name is what you're saying when you shout amen. You know, the other day, uh, my wife, and she's here in service uh, with me in this second service, uh, but the other day, she celebrated a birthday not too long ago. So about a week ago, uh, we went shopping together, just her and I, so not, not our kids with us, uh, but we went shopping at, at the mall. We went to the outlets there off of 290. I'm sure you've been there a few times. And, uh, and really, it wasn't us shopping together. It was my wife shopping, got to clarify this, and I was just along for the ride, okay? And husbands, you've probably been in that scenario before, and... and uh, and, and we've been married for over 10 years, so it's not my first rodeo. I love that expression, by the way. I try to fit that in as much as I can, having the rodeo here in Houston. Uh, but it wasn't my first time in this, that kind of situation. So I've learned some things. And so if you're newly married or not married but want to get married one day, fellas, listen up, okay? Free advice from your pastor straight to you. When you go shopping uh, with her, you don't say a word, okay? You smile. You smile so much that it starts to hurt a little bit. Come on, can I get an amen from somebody? Like, like you don't complain, you know. I, I, I've learned this. Happy wife, happy life. And that is very true. Come on, ladies. You know you love your pastor. I'm trying to help us guys out so it helps you out, ladies. And so I've learned a couple of things. And so, so we were just shopping for her, and it was awesome. She had got some money from her family for her birthday. And so we were there at the outlets. And, and when I go shopping with my wife, I've got a strategy going into it. Not only am I going to smile, not complain, I'm not looking at my watch, none of that, um, but also I've got a strategy every time we walk into one of the stores there. The moment, you know where I'm going here, the moment that we walk into a store, I am instantly scanning the room for the one chair. Now, back in the day, which I ain't old enough to say that, but still, I'll say it. Back in the day, there was multiple chairs, but they have removed the chairs. Why? Because you will shop more when you're on your feet. But they don't get me, Christ Covenant. I look for that one chair. And when I find that one chair, normally it's already taken by some dude who you can tell has been there for a long time. You know? And so you just look at each other in solidarity. I got you, brother. You know? Got a deal. And so if there's no chair or if there's just one chair that's already taken... I've got no shame anymore. Again, I've been around the block a little bit. And so literally, I will find a wall next to the dressing room, and I will sit down on the dirty floor with my back against the wall, crisscross applesauce, just being a good, obeying husband in Jesus' name. I'll do that. I've got no shame anymore. 
I'll, I'll embrace my inner child. Some of you guys look at me like you're too good for me. You'll learn. You'll learn. Just give us some time, okay? I'm not staying it because my wife takes a little bit of time. A little bit, of, just a little, little bit of time. And so I'll do that. I, honestly, I do this a lot, and I think I even did this at every store we went to about a week ago. Um, but if I don't want to sit on the floor, there's not really a good space by the dressing room while she's trying on the clothes, then literally I will take the table there with the clothes by the dressing room. I will move it to the side. I will sit on top of the table like a little kid with my feet dangling. No shame. No shame. And I will wait patiently like every good husband does to try on clothes and 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 we we shop differently and guys and gals in the room i think y'all can relate to this especially if you're married uh, but but she takes her time she likes to move through each rack and just check it out look at it put it back in go to the dressing room come back out i don't shop that way here's how i shop i walk into a store and in 30 seconds or less i know what i need to buy or if there's nothing there for me can I get a witness, guys, you know? Some of you ladies are maybe even like that too, but like I am in and out. I'm competitive, and if I can't compete with anybody else, I compete with myself. It's almost like somebody's got a stopwatch, and I am in and out. Is that true, babe? Like I'm in. I just know it's a spiritual gift. It's not on the list in the Bible, but still, it's a gift that God has given me. And I'm in and out. I know what I want and what I don't want. And so every once in a while, um, we go to that mall a lot. We'll also go to the other malls that are kind of in the area. But every once in a while, and we didn't go here last week, uh, but we've done it maybe three or four times. We've been here five years. But every once in a while, we'll go to um, the Galleria Mall. I figured there'd be a groan in the service. It's a long drive, traffic, no matter what. I mean, it's, it's really beautiful, but it, it's like its own city, right? I mean, it is ginormous, as Buddy the Elf would say it. And so we go there every once in a while, and, and it, just, it, it makes me laugh now, but like, y'all know there's that whole section in the Galleria for all the rich folk, you know what I'm talking about? That whole section where it's like every store has its own security guard, right? And I had never seen anybody go in that store or those stores. And so we stay away from that area, that's not how we roll, uh, but we go to the different areas. And, and when we go to the Galleria, because we're not familiar with it and because it's so big, we often get lost. And so we're looking for a store, but we don't know where that store is. And so we do in those moments what every single one of you do, because we don't get good cell reception in malls typically. We go to that kiosk, that mall map that they still got even in 2023. And we go through the long list there because Galleria has got about a thousand stores. Okay, we need to get to A7, but we can't just find where that store is. How many of y'all know we also need to know where in the world we are? Because we can know where that store is, but if we don't know where we are, we can't get to where we want to go. So once we find that store, A7, we then trace and look around. And what are we looking for? We're looking for that red dot. And right above that red dot, what's it say if you know? You are here. You are here. And so when we know where that store is that we want to go to and also where we are, only then can we get to our preferred destination and I think that will preach a little bit and I think that's a good example for all of us when it comes to your life spiritually because yeah you got dreams and God has given you goals that you want to achieve and yeah you've got things you want to accomplish for the Lord but unless you first know where you are now somebody shout now 
unless you know where you are now, you can never get to where God wants you to go. And I've heard pastors say for years, and it's so true, but growing old is inevitable. Like it happens to all of us. You can do the creams, you can do the liposuction, you can do the Botox, all that stuff you want to do, but guess what? You're still going to get older. It's just going to happen. Gravity always wins. Always wins. Growing old is inevitable, but growing spiritually is optional. And just because you've been in church for decades doesn't mean you are more mature than other people. And so the goal in this series, definitely the goal in 1 Timothy chapter 4, is as Paul as mentoring Timothy, he's like, bro, it's cool to do all the physical stuff, but you actually need to put some effort into your spiritual maturity, your spiritual training. It's got value now and also later. It's the best of both worlds. And so like I've challenged you for the last couple of weeks, do the New Year's resolution if you want. But more than that and more than anything else, if you want this to be your best year, it, be, it needs to be your best year spiritually and you need to grow like never before. But you gotta know not only where you wanna get to or where God wants you to get to, but where you are now. And so Paul tells Timothy, what's he say if he's still got it open? Train yourself to be godly. Today we're talking godliness. Maybe you've never heard a message before on this, but it's a, such an important spiritual growth message. In fact, I want to start today as we examine 1 Timothy 4, and we'll move a, a little bit throughout some other letters from Paul and even from Peter at the end of the message. But to start out today, I want to define what godliness is. Because it should be the goal for you and me, every single Christ follower, that we would be godly, that you'd be a godly man, a godly woman. And so, so what is godliness? Here's what I've learned uh, the last several years pastoring is people have been in church for a long time, but they don't necessarily know these words that we talk about often, like faith and grace and godliness and all this stuff. Like they pretend like they know it, but they're just faking it till they make it. You know what I'm saying? So I want to define it. I want to make sure you know exactly what God is talking about as he leads Paul to write this letter to Timothy back then and us hundreds of years later. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, you should write this down. Here's godliness, okay? As simple as I can make it, hopefully it will stick and stay with you throughout uh, your whole life here on earth. Godliness is living like God desires. So if you know someone who you would say they're a godly man, godly woman, they should live in such a way like God desires. So not how they want, not even what they, th they think they need. You know, I've given God lots of suggestions over the years. Hey, I, I think I should do this, or hey, what do you think about this? And God's like, no, 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 that's not what I have for you. And so if you're a godly man, a godly woman, if you have godliness, you live your life like God desires in a way that is pleasing to him. And I'm talking every area. So if you're married, your marriage. If you're a parent, your parenting. If you're single, in your singleness. If you're climbing the corporate ladder at your job or your career, if you own a business in your business, in every single area of your life, and I'll take it a step further, every day of your life. It ain't just a Sunday thing if you're going to be godly, living like God desires. And so if someone's godly, they are not perfect. Okay, so don't go there. I'm not saying they're perfect. 
if someone's godly, they are constantly pursuing the perfect one, and his name is Jesus. That's someone who's godly. They're pursuing him every day. Their life lines up with God's word and God's character. So whoever, like think about the most godly person you know in your life. They could be in this church, they could be somewhere else, could be a family member, could be your mom or dad, whoever. Think about the most godly person you know. If you held up their life to God's word, it should line up. You should hold up their life to God's character and it should line up. They should live in such a way, not what they want, but what God wants. It's not perfection, it's a process. Somebody shout process. It's a process, you're on a journey, it takes time and training. Not to make you saved, but after you're saved, you should grow in your faith. Not perfection, it's a process. You know, I remember the first time, and this was in Dallas, where we're from, but I remember the first time that I went to Ikea. I remember that, and I know we got one here in Houston, and, but I remember the first time I went to an Ikea in Dallas, and, and I'm sure you've all been there at least once, but you get in to Ikea, and, and what do you do first? You take that, that huge escalator up to the showroom, right? That's where you go first in Ikea, and, and you walk around and talk about being big, right, and just all the different twists and turns and the lights and the furniture and all the stuff, and the first time going in and I got up the escalator and I saw the showroom and I was like man I love this place I know it's cheap and some of you are like hating you're like that's beneath me pastor it's particle board I get it okay but when but when it's cheap and when you're balling on a budget you're like yes Ikea okay <laughs> I remember five years ago when we first got here when nobody in the church and it, not many people and not great financially and thank God of what he's done it's incredible what he's done we're not where we used to be, and God's got more for us. But I remember five years ago, we wanted to get some new furniture, and guess where I went? The Ikea here in Houston. Again, when you're balling on a budget, it will work. And I thought, I told people, I was like, if we, can, if we can just get one year with this Ikea furniture, we'll be good. And here we are, five years later, baby. <laughs> now, eventually, we'll, get, we'll upgrade, but, it, but it's, it's doing great right now. As so I go back to that first time in Dallas, and, and I go in the showroom, walk around, I'm like, I like that. I like that. I like that. I'll even try, you know, some of that food. They got the food courts, like you can get two slices of pizza and a Coke for like a dollar. And I'm like, yes, I'll do that. And so going through, but once you make it out of the showroom, you end up in the warehouse. And the first time you're there, it's shocking. You're like, what is going on? Where is the couch that I picked out in the showroom? Where's that table that I thought would be really great, like a dining room table in our apartment? Like, where is that at? And I realized very quickly that the warehouse is different than the showroom. The warehouse, it's in different boxes, about 100 pieces or so in different locations. And so what do you do? You gotta find the boxes. I don't know if you've ever been there before and you got two of the three boxes that you needed and you had to go back. I don't know if you've been there before and, and you got the boxes and you went to your car and you realized they did not fit in your car. I have been there before. And you're like, what do I do? So you gotta find the boxes and the pieces, you gotta fit it in your car somehow, and then what do you have to do? You gotta take it home to put it together and try to keep your salvation, right, and not lose your mind. It doesn't look like it did the showroom. There's a process with it, there's some steps. Y'all with me, Christ Covenant? It, it takes time, and your spiritual growth is that way. 
Like, we got this, like, misconception that if I just get to the right church and I just hear the right message and I, I just go to the right conference or the, the right camp, then all of a sudden it's a one-and-done thing and I'll be godly. That couldn't be farther from the truth. It's a process. It's a journey. It's step by step. We, we kind of treat, like, godliness like we could just, like, plug into the matrix and download everything in one day and then we're good. It's not how it works. That's not real life. Even these men and women of God in the Bible that we just kind of highlight and we put on a pedestal, they, they were in a process. They were on a journey. They did some jacked up stuff. My wife's been listening to a lot of the Old Testament. She's gone through the Bible before, but she's trying listening to it. And she, she got her AirPods in and she told me, the other day, she's, like, she's like, Ryan, I read these stories, but these people in the Old Testament, they did some jacked up stuff. And I'm like, yeah, they did. Some big mistakes. It was a journey. It was, a, you, you haven't arrived. You should be growing. Y'all with me? Like, you should be growing in your faith, growing in godliness. It's a process. It's a journey to live like God desires. It doesn't happen overnight. Now, the Apostle Paul, he has a lot to say about this. Would you turn two chapters forward? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. He goes on to say this about godliness, and I think it's really helpful. I don't got points today. We're just digging deep. Remember, this is that spiritual growth series, deep in, no, no floaties allowed, okay, in this series. We're going deep into the pool. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6, it says this. This is Paul still to Timothy. Godliness with contentment is great gain. I want you to process that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Do you want gains this year? Godliness with contentment is great gain. And this is so big. You see, if you want to be content in your life, and you do, if you want to be content, you actually don't need more stuff. Amen, pastor. That was good stuff. It's the truth. You don't need a bigger house or another car or another credit card so you can charge more stuff because I got two months free of interest and then it's going to kick in double, but still, I got two months free. If you want to be content, it's not more, more, more. It's being grateful for what you already have. Amen. So are you grateful? Amen. Are you grateful for what God is doing in your life? Are you grateful for how gracious he's been? Godliness with contentment is great gain. You need more gratefulness for what you already have. It's so important that we get there. And I just want to make it real plain for everybody. It's, it's very clear here. But Paul tells Timothy, and he's also telling us that godliness and worldliness are exact opposites. Exact opposites. So you can't be worldly and godly at the same time. It doesn't work like that. The same way that it can't be light and dark outside at the same time, it doesn't work. They're opposites. And so you're either godly or worldly. Well, how do, you, how do you know the difference, Pastor? When you're godly, you're putting God in the middle of everything. And when you're worldly, you're leaving God out of some things. I'm going to say that again. When you're godly, you put God in the middle of everything. You're not compartmentalizing your faith. He is at the center of it all. But when you're worldly, you leave him out of some things. And we're really good at that. God, you can touch this and you can work in my marriage, but, but you're not going to touch my career and me making money and me climbing that ladder. No, 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 no. And so often we say, God, you touch this, you do this, but you can't have all of me. It doesn't work. Godliness and worldliness are exact opposites. And so what is pulling you right now? Is it worldliness or is it godliness? 
Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying, some churches will say this, but it's not scripturally um, accurate. But I am not saying that like you can't have stuff and you gotta take a vow of poverty. I'm not saying that. God's word never says that. But here's what I am saying. It's not wrong to have stuff, but the question is, does the stuff have you? We'll say that again. It's not wrong to have stuff, but does the stuff have you? What has your heart? And when you're leaving God out of areas because you want something from the world more, you are not godly. Godliness and worldliness are exact opposites. And so new year, new you, more than getting more and having more. If you will live your life for God like God desires and be content with what you have, that is the greatest gain. It's the greatest gain. Paul has more to say about godliness in his second letter to Timothy. Would you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5? If you can't move there too quick, it will be on the screen. But Paul is about to give Timothy in the second letter, and in us as well, it's about to give him a warning. And this verse will preach so good, and it's so important. But he's given him a warning that in churches, and this is true of every church, by the way, but in churches... There is such a thing as counterfeit Christians. And that's my title, if you're taking notes. Counterfeit Christian. And so Paul warns Timothy, a young pastor, probably in his 30s, says, hey, bro, there's going to be people in your church, people around you that you're leading, that they look the part, but they ain't the part. That it looks good on the outside, but doesn't look good on the inside. There's gonna be people that look a lot like Pharisees. Y'all remember Jesus always going hard at Pharisees in the New Testament? Was a Pharisee, religious leaders, pastors of the day. They look good on the outside. I've shared this before, and it's funny to me, but it's so true. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they, they thought themselves like so holy, so godly, so better than everybody else. They'd be walking down the street, and it is so funny, but it is like so sad. They were walking down the street, and when someone like a sinner would come walking by, literally they would cross over to the other side of the street because they didn't want their sin cooties to be transferred to them. Like for real, we're so holier than thou. They had to have the best seat at the dinner party. So holy, oh, I'm, I'm so good, I'm so awesome. Look good on the outside, but on the inside it was corrupt. Jesus said it this way, you're like a whitewashed tomb. Look great on the outside, clean on the outside, but it is dirty and nasty on the inside. Jesus said some tough stuff, didn't he? I think we should be a little bit more bold. Anyways, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5. Here's a warning to Timothy and to us. There are people, counterfeit Christians, that they're going to have a form of godliness but deny its power. you got to get this. They'll have a form of godliness but deny its power. Have nothing to do with such people. Paul tells Timothy there are dangerous people that they look the part but they don't play the part. You have nothing to do with them because their corruption can eventually corrupt you. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Now, the Greek word for form, not a slide for this, but I hope you'll write it down. The Greek word, that's the original language in, in most of the New Testament. The Greek word for form can actually translate to the word shadow. So you can write down form and then shadow. So here's what this means. There are people that have a shadow of godliness, but deny its power. Shadow of godliness. 
you think about our physical shadow right now because i got these lights on me you can't see this online but in the room i've got a shadow here i've got the backlighting as well and then i've also got this shadow so think about my shadow or think about your shadow anytime my shadow is not me right it's my shadow it's it's the outline of me it's not the substance it's just the shape of me and as you think about that physically it translates to what paul is saying here spiritually that there are people counterfeit christians that they've got the shadow of godliness it's the shape it's the outline it looks good from the outside but the substance is not there the shadow of godliness and they deny its power there are people that look godly but aren't godly so here's what this means for us there are people that they wear the christian shirt they sing the songs they know when to say amen they got a giant bible they can use it as a weapon they speak christianese which that's not a real language okay but they know when to say this and when to do that they know when to raise a hand they may even serve in a church. They, they wear a cross necklace. They got that little fish on their bumper sticker. They do all the stuff on the outside. They look like a Christian, sound like a Christian. They even smell like a Christian. I don't know what they smell like, but you know. But they're not a Christian. It's all a facade. It's checking a box. It's, it's religiousness. How do I know, Pastor, if I'm a counterfeit Christian? Here's how you know. Are you all about a religion, checking boxes to get God's approval, or are you all about a relationship with Jesus? Because when it's all about a relationship, that I didn't do anything to get saved, that even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. I didn't deserve it. I could never earn it. But salvation is mine. The work is already done on the cross. That's a relationship. Religion is, if I can do enough, then God will approve. If I can memorize some scriptures, if I can make sure my kids are in God's house, if I can do this and do that, which those are all good things. But it gets twisted when we think, if I do this, then God will approve. That if I do this work, then God will save me. That is religion. And that makes you look more like a Pharisee and less like Jesus. So that's how you know. But not only that, and here's where the kicker is, what does Paul say in 2 Timothy 3 verse 5? That they have a shadow of godliness and they deny its power. What does that mean, pastor? It means this. You know you're a godly man or a godly woman if there is power that follows your life. There should be power. There should be power. Y'all hearing me? I know we got all kinds of different people in this church. Some of y'all are like, what are you talking about power? I'm a Baptist. That's cool. You be Baptist. But it's about power. There is power from God that is placed on your life when you live your life dedicated to him. Shadow of godliness, they deny its power. What do you mean, Pastor? I'm trying to process this. Here's what I mean, that when, when you're godly, when you're living your life like God desires, there's power that follows your ministry, your life. So people that are godly, when they pray, God moves. People that are godly, when they speak, there's an anointing on their life. I'm not talking about just pastors. In fact, you're all pastors, by the way. That's New Testament. That's what we're living under. There's an anointing. There's an empowering that's on your life that when you lead, you lead differently than the world. 
that when you parent, and I'm not talking perfection, but when you parent, there's an anointing on your parenting, your marriage, there's an anointing on your marriage. Why in the world will we think that God's power would be on us when we live our own way? And that's how we like it in America. Well, God, I did this, so would you bless it? That's not how God rolls. God's like, I will bless you and anoint you and empower you when you live your life how I want you to live. And that's your calling. And that's my calling, that we would be godly. You want A, but God wants B. Guess what? It's B. God wants A, and you want B, C, D, or even E. God, these are some great suggestions for you. And God's like, no, you do A. Yes, sir, I'm going to do A. This is the kind of life that power comes upon. You're anointed. God moves in you and through you. Shadow of godliness, they deny its power, have nothing to do with these people. Well, how do I get there, pastor? I'm not, I'm not just trying to frustrate you. or I'm not, That's not my goal. My goal is preaching God's word. How do, I, how do I get there? I'm not there, pastor. I can see very clearly. I'm more worldly than I am godly. I want my stuff more, and I put God in some areas. I'm here today, but there's other areas that I leave him out. It's not a relationship. It's kind of like religion where if I read my Bible this week, I feel better about my relationship. That's not how it works. So I'm not there, but how do I get there? How do I take that step in my spiritual growth? Growing old is inevitable, but growing spiritually is optional. How do I get there? How do I get there? I'm going to take you to one more place. We've been reading through first and second Timothy written by Paul, I want to take you to an original disciple, an OG disciple, Peter. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. You can turn there if you are real quick. If you can't get there, it'll be on the screen in a moment. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. Peter is the guy, just in case you don't know, don't want to assume that you know. Peter, original disciple, original 12, he was a fisherman. Peter had what I like to call foot and mouth disease where he would say stuff and put his foot in his mouth and regret it later. I can relate to Peter a lot. (laughs) He's the guy that told Jesus that he would never deny him, but he didn't just stop there. He threw the other original disciples under the bus. He's like, Jesus, I will never turn my back on you. These fools may, but I will never do that. That's what he did. And guess what? He denied him three times within like 24 hours. That's Peter. Peter's also the guy who Jesus encouraged him that, hey, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, but but you're going to be a part of this. You're going to be rock. And what Jesus was telling him is that not that you're going to be the Pope and there's going to be a line of popes. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying, I've taught about this before. What he was telling Peter is you're going to be one of the early leaders in the church. And you're going to help start this thing. And that came true after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falling in that upper room. Upper room. And the same Peter I've told you about, he, he preached Jesus. And I think there was 3,000 people that got saved day one of the New Testament church. So that's what Jesus was talking about. So this is Peter. So Peter went through some stuff. He was not perfect, but he pursued the perfect one. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, this is going to help you. Are y'all getting anything out of this today? Like anybody? Okay, so we'll make sure. I know it's deep, but you need it, I need it. Second Peter chapter one, verse three. Here's what Peter says. I'll read this and then I'll share a couple thoughts and then we'll pray. 
His divine power, so speaking of Jesus, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of Him, if you can highlight, circle, highlight, circle that phrase, our knowledge of Him. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him, who called us by His own glory and goodness. So here's what this means. That if you have given your life to Jesus, and not all of you have, I hope that will change here in just a moment. But if you have truly surrendered your life to Jesus, given your life to him, if you've done that, you already have everything you need right now to live a godly life. That's encouraging. You're like, how do I do this and that? You already have everything you need. What are you talking about, pastor? When you surrender your life to Jesus, God's spirit, God himself lives inside of you. You are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. So that power is there. God's spirit is there. You already have everything that you need. Well, what what does that mean moving forward? It means that you live in such a way that you honor what he's telling you to do. As he's guiding you in directions, you go that way. And that's when the power is activated. And that's when you see God's anointing and blessing on your life. Not as you do things your way, asking God to bless it afterwards, but you do things his way from day one. It's already there. And so your job is not making you saved. But your job is to live out that salvation, to walk with him and talk with him. And what did Peter say? The part I had you highlight, circle if you could. That this is going to happen as you know him more and more. That's the key. Get to know him. Think about it logically. How can you follow somebody and live for somebody if you don't even know them? I think about my wife here. I love you so much. And I would never come to her. I'd never come to Isabel and say, hey, I'm going to give you one hour this week. You know, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. this Sunday. And we're going to spend time together and we're going to hang out together. And then I'll see you again next Sunday. Never say that. How many of y'all know we, we wouldn't make it, right? That wouldn't work. Either that or I end up dead. You know, it's just going to be one of those things. It's not going to work. Think about that logically. It's true in your life spiritually. You know, we treat, we treat God, and, and I've done this before. I'm not picking on you. I'm not pointing fingers. I'll point fingers at myself. I'll point them at anybody. We almost treat God sometimes like he's got visitation hours. You've ever had a loved one in the hospital with all the COVID restrictions or, or maybe a loved one like in a nursing home, and they have visitation hours, right? You can come from this time to this time can't stay later, can't come earlier, it's got to be on this day, got to go through the whole procedure to get in, right? I don't have COVID, wear the mask, all that kind of stuff. And what's happened is we have so many people that they kind of treat God that way, that God's got visiting hours on Sunday for an hour and 15 minutes. So I'm going to visit with him then, but then I won't see you again until the next week. And you're not involving God in your everyday life. I'll tell you, that's not a real relationship. That's religion. A real relationship. Are y'all hearing me, church? A real relationship is you are walking and talking with Jesus. You're getting to know him. 
I'm not saying hours of prayer. I'm saying pray on your commute to school or work every day. Like, like, like go after him. Read a verse a day. I do that sometimes. You know, I used to read, I got to the point when I first got saved where I was reading chapters and chapters every day and I wasn't telling people about it. I was like so hungry. But here's what I realized pretty quick as a teenager. I realized that I was reading all these chapters and I was retaining nothing. And so I have taken such a far step back and said, you know what? I'm gonna read less and then I'm gonna think about it. I'm gonna meditate on it. Not, hmm, not that meditation. I'm just gonna think about it. I'm gonna process it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask God, God, what are you speaking to me through this one verse? One verse is plenty. Don't be religious about it. My mom and dad for years, they would pray and they're not like pastors. And they would pray on their commute in Dallas to work. Now, by the way, if you pray in your car, keep your eyes open, okay? Just, just say. <laughs> you also, when you're praying on a mission field, you wanna keep your eyes open too because some crazy stuff happens. You wanna make sure there ain't nothing happening around you anyways. But they would pray on their drive to work and then when they would, and they would get there just a few minutes early and they would park and that's when they would read their verse or their couple of verses. They were putting God in the middle of everything when it came to raising me and my brother and their marriage, all of that. And they're not perfect either, just like I'm not perfect, just like you're not perfect. But we would pray when we would eat meals and we, we would pray when someone was sick and, and they would be in God's house and it was all relationship, not religion. It was, I wanna get to know God more. And so you involve him in your life. You ask him what he wants you to do. You don't just move because you, got, you can have more equity and, and you can make some money and, and pay more, the house down more. You don't move just to move. You ask God first, God, is this what you desire for me? You don't just switch jobs just because you'll make 20,000 more at that new job. You ask God, God, do you desire this for me? You don't just get married because they look good. Because we are all fighting gravity and we are losing, y'all. <laughs> we are losing not just because they look good, it's God, do you want me to marry this person? Don't just have kids because that's what you do at a certain age when you're married. God, do you want us to have children now? You see what I'm like? Like, like you got to include him in your life. Get to know him more, to grow in your relationship. It's not a one and done. It's a journey. It's a process. And so ask God right now, where am I? Where am I on this journey? Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Jesus, thank you for speaking. Thank you for your word, it's so helpful. The calling for Christians is to be Christ-like. That's what that word means. We're not trying to be God. We wanna be like God. We wanna talk like you and think like you and live like you've called us to live. That when people look at our lives and they line it up with scripture, they line it up with your character, it matches. Not because we're perfect, but because we're pursuing the perfect one. And so I pray for those that have maybe been more religious than about relationship. I pray, God, that they would start today to include you in everything. As I talked about on Christmas Eve, Jesus, for you to be the center of our lives. I pray, God, for those that have been drawn and pulled by the world, worldliness. I pray they'd have fresh revelation that they don't need more stuff to be happy. They actually need to be content with what they already have to be grateful for it. You have been so good to all of us. 
And I pray, God, that draw of the world, the hooks it has in our lives, God, that you would take those out. That instead of leaving you out of some things, I pray, God, we would include you in everything. I pray, God, that as we live like you want us to live, not how we want to live, that, God, anointing and power would follow. That how we lead and how we parent and how we handle relationships and what happens at our job or at our schooling, what happens in our neighborhood, how we speak and how we pray. I pray there be an anointing that follows, as your word says. Not as we ask you to bless our disobedience, but as you bless our obedience. Not a shadow of godliness, not counterfeit Christian, but authentic Christian, real relationship. And I pray, God, we would get to know you more. It doesn't stop 21 days of prayer and fasting. Yeah, we're going to eat, and yeah, we're going to stop fasting. Well, we've been fasting now that the season ends today, but, but I pray that what wouldn't stop is us pursuing you, to include you in our everyday life, to grow in our knowledge of you. And as we do that, the power is going to activate, and the anointing is going to fall in our life, and we're going to see you move in us and through us like never before. Help us, Lord, to be godly, to live like you desire. And God, I pray lastly, if you can bow your heads with me and close your eyes if they're not already. I pray lastly for anybody who has never given their life to you. Today is their day. This is how they start their journey with you. To surrender their very life. And what we've been talking about day, today is not earning your salvation, it's living out your salvation. So here's the truth that you need to know. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you can't work for it, you can't earn it. There's no religious boxes that you can check off to achieve it. The work for your salvation has already been done once and for all on the cross. It is finished. So the way that you're saved is you just surrender and you receive the gift of salvation. In fact, there's another book in the Bible. It's the book of Romans. Written by Paul. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says this. This is how you're saved, how you surrender your life. Romans 10, verse 9. Just listening to my voice right now. It says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's simple. You confess with your mouth, you, you're my God, you're my Lord. I'm not talking about my mom or dad's faith or my best friend's faith. I put my faith in you, you're my God. Confess with your mouth, but then also you believe in your heart. You believe that Jesus died on the cross. You believe that he rose from the dead. Yeah, it takes faith, but you put your faith in him. You confess and you believe. And that's how you start your journey with Jesus. So if you've never done that, or honestly, maybe you're reconsidering, thinking, hey, have I truly given my life to Jesus? There's no power there. There's no change there. I just did it to check a box and feel better about myself. Whoever you are, if you want to get your life right with Jesus, this is your moment. So I'm going to ask you to whisper this to the Lord, to confess this out loud to him, and he hears you. You don't need to shout it, you can whisper it. But tell him this right now, you can repeat after me, Jesus, I confess that you are God. 
whisper that to him. I, I confess, I speak it out loud. You are my God personally. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. You tell him that. I believe, Jesus, you died on the cross and you rose from the dead. It really happened. I've got faith. And Jesus, I ask you, you've got to ask him this. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I don't want to just look good on the outside, but be dirty and nasty on the inside. So Jesus, clean me up from the inside out. Make me new. Wash me. Give me a fresh start. Forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I commit my life to you. God, thank you for those that are confessing and putting their belief in you. They're at the starting line of faith, their journey. God, I pray that you'd empower them to live out what you're done today, to grow in their relationship with you. You have so much more that you wanna do in them and through them, not to make them more saved, but proof that they're saved, to live in such a way that you desire. And I pray God, because they're not gonna be perfect. I pray when they take one step back, they would quickly with your strength and your help take two steps forward. I pray God when they fall down on their journey to grow, I pray God as they fall down and skin their knee that you would help them back up to mend their wounds and get them moving forward again. God, may we grow in godliness to be Christ-like. Thank you, God, for what you've done today. It's not about this church. It's definitely not about me. It's all about you. You were the one that does this. And I thank you for what you've done. And we ask all this in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. If you made a decision for Jesus Christ or if your life has been impacted in any way, please send us an email at info at We would love to hear your story. And for those that committed your life to Christ, we want to help you on your new journey by sending our free Start Bible Kit in the mail. If you'd like to partner with us financially, simply click on the Give tab at ChristCove.net. There it will take you to a safe and secure page where you can set up a one-time or recurring gift to help us accomplish our vision, heaven full and hell empty. And as always, you can find out more about Christ Covenant on our website or on Facebook or Instagram at ChristCoveHouston. 